0: This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists, and I'm your host, Dr. Bronwyn Milkins. Hey mental workers. Early career psychs require a lot of supervision. Whether you're doing a master's, registrar program, 4 plus 2 or 5 plus 1, there is a lot of compulsory supervision and along with that, a lot of anxiety. How do I select a supervisor? What if I don't get along with my supervisor? What if my supervision turns into one of those horror stories? How do I even use supervision effectively? Today, we're going to answer some of those questions with a specific focus on how to get the most out of supervision. And here to join us and provide their personal and professional insights is Annie Slater. Hey, Annie. Hey, Bronwyn. Annie is a very accomplished psychologist and they mentioned to me that they have a lot of imposter syndrome, but I'm just going to lean into that and introduce them really well. So they're a director. Board-approved clinical supervisor and psychologist, they work in their own private practice, and they also manage something called the Provisional Psych Network, which provides a stack of supervision and training. And I'll provide the links to that in the show notes. So thank you so much, Annie, for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You've been a supervisor for a while now, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I have actually. Um, I don't know exactly, <laughs> but in the <laughs> I'd long, long run.
0: Yes, we will call it that. So, Annie, the first thing I want to start us off with is if you could just tell us what you've seen in supervisors and supervisees around how to use the supervision space. Is this a problem? Like, do they generally find it easy, hard? I think it can really vary. I think... um I think there's so
1: I wish and I'm actually considering doing this as part of our network of doing almost like an intro to what is supervision and how to what it is, what it isn't, how to navigate it. Because I think I think a lot of a lot of the time and I know this even for myself, having gone through the four plus two and now having to I'm doing the registrar program um, is you don't get taught about what supervision is and you just kind of land in it. And I think that if we if we had a better understanding of what it was, and especially now having been trained in supervision and, and providing a lot of it, a lot of supervisees coming to supervision, especially for the first time, like I remember the first time I went to see my supervisor as an early four plus two and how anxiety provoking that was and not even understanding what the purpose of supervision was. Um, I really get that that can be tricky. So I think sometimes there is, there is some difficulties people face in understanding how to use the space effectively and what it actually is and isn't.
0: <laughs> it's a really good point because I remember similarly, like when I did my five plus one, you get the outline of what you're supposed to do and it would be like 300 placement hours. You need one hour of supervision every day, but it doesn't explain why you need that supervision. It was just like, I think that you do and I have to talk to this person. I have no idea why. I have no idea how to use it. What is my purpose? Uh, just a little bit existential questions coming up I guess and but you just do it and then everybody I feel like everybody just pretends that they know what this is and we're all just in this shared delusion oh and added to that
1: even just you know all the tricky parts about early career navigating your first therapy session and how anxiety provoking it is and all the imposter syndrome that goes along with it it just it is a lot. Um, and, you know, if you have a really good supervisor, they're usually quite good at naming that and and helping you through it and understanding what it is and isn't through a supervision contract. And I think that's really important for supervisees so they do that, um, you know, and I think we've all had experiences of good, and helpful supervision versus less, maybe effective supervision. Um, and, you know, that can be on both sides of the fence for the supervisee or supervisor. So, hopefully, we can cover a bit more about that today.
0: Yeah, totally. So, let's jump into the dilemma that was presented to us today. So, I got a message from a listener, and here's what they said They said, I'm doing my four plus two, and I've had pretty good supervisors so far, I think. There are so many provisional horror stories and supervisors, and I would really love to hear some more in-depth stuff about what the ideal supervisory relationship looks like on a day-to-day slash week-to-week basis. Smiley face.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love it. And and we have heard horror stories, and a lot of us have had horror stories, Mm. you know, That's why my supervision contract, I actually have a section where we talk about it. Like what were your previous experiences of supervision? What was helpful, unhelpful? Because I want to know that as a supervisor. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, because, you know, it really can affect getting some good feedback on how you can improve this supervision relationship. But I think that's a very common thing for people to have heard, especially on the forums and things. You, You see some of the worst things and, and managing kind of a supervision business, you know, I've heard I've navigated those things even just from this side operationally, and it's tricky. Um, su- supervisees are really vulnerable, so I really get how do they know what is what when to change supervisors is probably you know the
0: really broad question there. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that, and let's start off with Annie. Paint us a utopia. What would an ideal supervisor <laughs> relationship look like day to day, week to week, and I guess it would involve in answering these questions, like what is each party's role in supervision, right?
1: Yeah. And and I think I love that utopia. And I think we I think we have to have some not unrelenting standards of what supervision should be because you know no no one is perfect there is no such thing as a perfect supervisor or a perfect supervisee you know you're all going to screw up at different points in the relationship and part of being a good relationship is that you can repair that and move forward but when I think about um what you know the ideal supervisor was I always think about this one supervisor I had and I had them during my four plus two and and what they were the reason that they were ideal was that they not only had a really good grasp of what I had to do for that pathway so they understood what like what I would look like as a psychologist when I came out the other end and and kind of knew how to guide me there but they were much more structured in supervision. Um, They helped identify when we were not having effective conversations in supervision that were leading to improved client outcomes. And I'll talk a little bit about what she used to do because I've just mirrored her. I've probably just taken on a lot of her skills, which is... (laughs) But also, it's safe. Like, I, I would say that a good supervision relationship is you can be vulnerable. The person creates a space in the same way that we create the space for a client that is safe, that, that feels psychologically safe. You know, I can, I can share with them if I have no idea what I'm doing, that we collaborate, that it's a team effort, that I'm given some choice where possible in what we talk about and how we get there, that it's collaborative. And also that they empower you, right? Because I think early in your supervision kind of journey there's this like developmental model of supervision, right? And it's a, when we're like newer, we need much more guidance and supervision becomes much more directive in answering questions because you don't know. There's like this, there's this whole bunch of information that you don't know yet. And then on the other hand, as you kind of walk through that level of competence, you have all that knowledge and it becomes a bit more reflective. So I think even just understanding where that is and having a good supervisor that can really respond to you where you are and check and clarify that your need got met in supervision that day and was anything outstanding, yeah i think I think that's what resonates, like I think the utopia is that you leave supervision with some knowledge <laughs> and where to go next is probably or feeling heard and validated if it was if there was things about some tricky things that came up in your sessions with your client that also maybe, um, affected you that you had, that it felt safe. It's probably my summary of what I think an effective supervisory relationship looks like.
0: And is that realistic? Like when I hear you say all these things, I'm like, Oh, that sounds like a tall order. I'm not a supervisor, but I would get some anxiety being like, I have to do all these things.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think, You know, we as a supervisor, we always want to be reflecting on our supervision the same way we do with therapy. Like, how do I improve? How do I get better in this space? Your supervisor does not know everything. That is not, no supervisor exists out there that can answer every question that you have. But you should have a supervisor that's humble and ethical enough to say, hey, that's a great question. I don't know this answer either. How can we find out the answer to this question? Or where can we find some resources? Or who's the ninja in this space that we could connect to? Where's some literature on this? What would be a task that we could do to kind of, you know, skill up? What professional development do we need to look at? Um, You know, in some ways, the supervision relationship, whilst it has... These extra responsibilities that make it a little bit more tricky to navigate around ethics and the supervisor being responsible for that supervisee's practice when they're in their internship parts. Yeah, I, I think it is. I had some really great supervision um, over the course of, and I've had a lot of supervision having done the four plus two and now doing that, and now finishing all my placements and then going into the registrar program. Um, and it looks different. It look what my supervision now looks very different to when I was a four plus two. Very, very different.
0: And is that reflecting, I guess, your increased competence and your needs? Yes. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And having a supervisor that, you know, can check and like work out like we're going to because, you know, to be really honest, now that I've gone into my placements, it did become a little bit more tricky thinking about like I was and it was a lot of supervision. I just finished all my placements for my master's. Congratulations. And I I had to do an hour a day of supervision. And it's for someone who's relatively experienced and has got all the core Catholic skills and has like done a lot of therapeutic modalities. I, I, I had some tricky and I, I had to keep asking myself, like, how can I make this space helpful? What, what can I, cause you never stop learning. And my supervisor was so skilled in some therapies that I wasn't trained in yet. Or, and so what we did was we found some ways for me to be able to do some learning in between sessions so that we were taking, I was, you know, Getting some skills out of that supervision where it just didn't become about talking about cases that I was already pretty certain that I knew how
0: to navigate, but it's tricky. It's- so in that, let me just unpack that because there's a lot in there. So would you consider it the supervisee's role to work out what do I bring to supervision or is that a joint responsibility or is that the supervisor's responsibility? So I guess I'm asking you, yeah, what, <laughs> what is the supervisee's role in supervision?
1: I would say that it's a team effort across the board. Your supervisor's job is to know what is required for that pathway to kind of guide you to get to the end point. But as you, as the supervisee, you are you are really the the most knowledgeable of where you are in regards to the tasks that need to be completed, the logbooks that have been done, um, what. What things came up during the week that, like, you had no clue about? What ethical problems did you face this week? So I think for me, and I do this with my supervisees, and it's dependent on where they are in that developmental model, it's thinking about, like, what skills would I – it's kind of on competence. So what skills would I expect someone, you know, who's really like a a green four plus two, who's never even seen a client (laughs) versus someone who's up here. And what we should be doing is that with that is the supervisor's job is to be vulnerable and say, these are the skills maybe I'm missing. The supervisor's job is to to work out a plan of how we get there. We collaborate on that. So the day-to-day is we both come with an agenda. Because there'll sometimes be things that I want to talk to my supervisee about. Maybe they sent me a report and there's, you know, maybe I've noticed in the report that we could work on maybe strengths-based language and it's not something that we've brought into the supervision space yet and I'll have it as like a rough agenda. And then the supervisee will bring theirs. And I think what I really encourage my supervisees to do is to prioritize their agenda. So we will start with the most urgent need, which will always be ethics or risk. And then we will move down to like prioritising what comes next. Um, And I might not talk about what I need to talk about that day because it's not the
0: biggest priority Mm. for the session. So you have like a shared agenda and you go by priority and need for what needs to be addressed. Annie, what about if you're doing an arrow supervision every day like you and... You really don't know how to feel that time. This is actually a problem that I've encountered as well. Sometimes I go to supervision and I'm like, nothing's come up this week. I don't have anything to talk about. We've talked about all my cases. Everything's going pretty smoothly. Um, I don't have any reactions that have come up during the week. How do I feel my time? Yeah, yeah that's a great question.
1: I I think for me, I always have backup things topics that I'd like to talk to my supervisor so when I'm picking a supervisor I really pick them for a reason I don't just pick anyone I pick someone who is has a skill set maybe that I don't have yet or knowledge that I don't have yet (laughs) or um just something that I know that they could give me that maybe some other supervisors couldn't, that I don't have yet. And so what I would do is I would make sure that I was planning out some tasks in therapy that maybe I was getting exposed to some things that were new so that I could take them to supervision. So for example, for my first placement for my master's, I knew as soon as I saw that I had to do an hour supervision a day, I was like, I will not survive doing that unless I actually have something that I'm actually learning. Mm. (laughs) I will feel sorry for that supervisor and it will just become really dry. And so I chose to learn um, autism assessment because and I picked a supervisor who was um, in both endorsed in clinical and ed and dev because they were so skilled in that area and then I picked another one around learning disabilities because it was something I really wanted to learn so I think it's planning for the fact that you're going to be doing all this supervision and, and forward thinking of how can I get the most out of it with learning a new skill you don't even necessarily have to be doing that work to still bring those kind of conversations into supervision. You know, it's really, I found it really effective too if I'm if I'm thinking about my supervisors is I'll ask them, because they're they're great mentors in whatever area they're really skilled in, is asking them some really good questions about how did you what steps did you take to get really competent in that area at oh, something?
0: That's a genius question.
1: Yeah. Because it's it's hard. There's so much, there's so much out there. That's what I love about psychology. You never get bored. If you're willing to kind of go learn more stuff, then you never get bored because it's all there's so much to learn, right?
0: Yeah. So if we're if I'm trying to summarize that, I'm thinking how to get the most out of supervision, you really need to know what it is that you want to learn. And if you don't know what you want to learn, that sounds like a conversation that could be brought to your supervisors. You can ask them, what did you do to gain competency in this area? What do you think um, could be things to learn? Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also too thinking doing some self-reflection so in most pathways you have to do a reflective journal yeah. or you have like a, those awful log books yeah And dreading going into my registrar and having to start doing the log books again because yeah. I was oh they you were thought awful. you were they were in the past <laughs> <best>. yeah <laughs> I know. Have like so much empathy again I always had empathy for my supervisors for their log books but yeah back in the thick of it but um what I would say too is usually I would use my log book reflections as my agenda so say for instance I'm reflecting on my clients for that week and I'm thinking about like well you know I did do a risk assessment there but you know that was a pretty complex one I'm pretty confident that I did a really good job of that maybe that's a good thing to take to supervision to reflect on my formulation to see if there's anything that my supervisor can add to that Mm -hmm. or just check my skill set role plays are really good if you don't have um if you, if you come to supervision, and I did this a few times in my placement where uh, I'd put time aside to plan for my supervision and then it got eaten up for something. And <laughs> then, like you said, you turn to supervision and you're like, oh, no, I didn't prepare for supervision. It is thinking, what role play can we do so I can demonstrate or reflect on skills that maybe I could improve in? Because you can wow. role play so many different things in supervision. And I'll, and I'll let you in on a little trick your supervisor the best thing that you can get out of supervision is your supervisor role modeling skills not you role modeling them oh so ask your supervisor get vulnerable and say this is something I am not as I'm feeling a little like it's a skill that I want to develop and it shouldn't be you modeling at first ask you how do you feel supervisor about maybe if you could be the clinician and I be the client and I show you, and you can help me see how you would navigate that because it's a really great way for you to develop some extra skills in how they do it. Because they might do it a little bit differently, but it might be something that you can put in your toolkit around language or metaphors or whatever it is that they do that might be a little bit different to you.
0: That's so amazing. I've literally never done a role play and I've had hundreds of hours of supervision. I've never really? done one. Yeah, I've never done one in supervision. How do I get? that do I just say hey can we do a role play around this or can you show me that
1: you know what's so funny um Bronwyn is I do lots of supervision and I'm always the supervisor he's like hey how about we do this role and most of my supervisors are like no like we can <laughs> we can, let's not do it that and most supervisors want to avoid doing that because yeah. it is more anxiety provoking but it's so I helpful
0: guess.
1: totally if you're gonna mess up do it in supervision yeah <laughs> practice in there so that your client gets the benefit of that because that's what supervision is meant to be how do you be better at your job how does yeah. the client get the best of you um yeah so, so it's a place
0: to practice and be vulnerable
1: yeah definitely and if you can record your sessions most of us hate recording our sessions as clinicians I think it's a 100 well I would say it's probably 100 percent. people just like cringe they have to watch themselves back they it comes with all this anxiety I really encourage people, I still record my sessions. If I have a client that I am really struggling with and I can't work out what the dynamic is or if I need some insight into the pattern that we're just getting stuck, I'll ask the consent from my client to record it and I will take it to my supervision because I want I want some help. <laughs> I want, you know, And it's the best thing that you can do for your, your clinical work is actually to watch yourself back. You pick up on all your little like, The things that you say all the time that are really repetitive, (laughs) your um, facial expressions or it helps you formulate better. So I don't think we should ever stop doing that.
0: No, I agree. I've had to record my sessions because I'm doing schema therapy accreditation. And it's been so helpful um, for my supervisor. They've watched them as well. And for them to be like, you see, Brendan, when you were really happy here and your client was just like suffering over there and you ignored them. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, But it's like so helpful. So you don't get caught up in your own world. Because yeah, one time I was just really focused on the agenda. And I'm like, hurdy, gurdy," I'm getting through the agenda really well. My client, is it's not doing great um so yeah I swear every time I do a video I I learn something dramatically new about myself in my practice
1: and you have to be willing to be uncomfortable to to grow in that space yeah it's
0: disgusting I hate looking at it yeah Um, I I just do my EMDR
1: like halfway through my EMDR and we had to do the same thing and my and I love supervision because like you most of the time you will pick up what you did wrong and I the way I usually do my supervision reflections with my supervisees is we'll watch something and then the way I structure it is I say what were your areas of growth everyone misses their areas of growth they spend the whole time looking at the video looking at all the things that they did wrong that stick out like a sore thumb. Yes. And they miss all the things they did well. Yes. So I usually try to focus on that and then I'll add to them because they'll always missed up. And then usually structure it so it's what are the areas for growth? You know, we all have them. I don't think there's you could ever watch a therapy session and not say, oh, we could have had maybe this here or that there improved in some way. And 90% of the time, supervisors will see things that I didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> You know, we we that's why watching them back is so important in and that's why it's part of every pathway has direct observation where you're meant to have your. Because you can think you're nailing it, but you're not. Absolutely, <laughs>
0: um, Annie. How do you frame that to clients? I'm just curious if you can give us like a one or two liners. So you're stuck with a client, you don't really know what to do. You're thinking, okay, this would be a good candidate to film and bring to supervision. How do you phrase that to the client? Are you just like, you know, I'm feeling stuck, yo. I just uh, don't know what to do with you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, do, I don't do that. I don't do that.
1: say so, so always in a strength based way that it's about you, not the client. So I say, I will usually say to my client. And I uh, kind of the narrative would be, hey, Jane, (laughs) you know, I'm really, really value getting better as a therapist. And part of that is sometimes recording my sessions to take to supervision, to look at what I can improve as a therapist for my future clients. And I'm wondering if that would be okay if we record our session, you have and then obviously doing informed consent. um, And then we go through, you know, when I'll delete it and whatnot. They really need to understand the purpose of it is not about them it's really about you being able to navigate your therapy maybe with them in more effective ways. Um, and I think that's the way to, so that's another thing most supervisees struggle with is getting consent to record their sessions. <laughs> Such a, And it's a lot of, a lot, and I remember doing it like, Oh, it's so awful awesome that I'm going to ask this person to be like, we're going to record your most vulnerable discussions in therapy today. And what I say to my supervisees is how you ask the question will dictate whether or not they feel comfortable or
0: not. 100%. Yeah, I had to practice it. And now I get almost like a 100% yes, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So instead
1: of being like, um, so, Uh. So you know, I was thinking that maybe today we should, yeah. you don't have to do it, You don't you have, have to. to do it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But only if you want to, but you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. And whereas, yeah, it's the same thing now. And we as long as you've got informed consent, they can say no then and stop it whenever they want to, then yeah. that's fine too.
0: But yeah, record your sessions, people. 100%. That's Such a good thing to bring to supervision. Thank you, Annie. I'll bring us back to something else that I wanted to touch on in this conversation, which is that, look, when you're doing your studies at uni or you're doing your four plus two or five plus one or registrar program, sometimes there's a limited pool of supervisors to select from. Sometimes supervisors don't have availability. So essentially you end up with a supervisor who might not be 100% a good fit, but they're the only supervisor that's available. Or in the case at university, you get a supervisor assigned to you or in placements that happens as well. So my question is, how do you navigate supervision when you don't have a choice necessarily and the supervisor isn't 100% 100% a good fit? Like, what do you do and say to manage this relationship?
1: Oh, it's such a good question. And it's such a problem. I I have really strong feelings that you shouldn't be, you should have some say in who you choose as your supervisor and that you should, there should be a whole process in deciding if that supervisor is a good fit for you based on their skill set that you're trying to access, but also how you feel with them and talking with them. Um, So it's a shame if someone doesn't have choice. And as someone who navigates a supervision business, It's quite common sometimes too, where a a practice will have like their director, and instead of you know outsourcing the supervision, where the supervisor could pick, they are the supervisor. Yeah, and it creates don't. If anyone's listening who has their practice, don't do that if you can avoid it. If you can avoid it, it, makes a bit.
0: There's a conflict there in terms of you know. The business side of it and supervision. It's such an Um, obvious conflict as well. But the number of times I hear this happen, and it happened at my workplace when I was a provisional psych that the director who was employing them was also acting as a supervisor. So it's cheaper from a business perspective for them. But there's a huge conflict there.
1: Yeah. It it isn't actually more expensive. Like do you think if, if you took that session and replaced that session with a client session for the director? That would pay for that supervision session. So, it. it I think that's a, a myth. <laughs> a lot of the time, it's a lot of the time. I think it's just often them. They have good intentions. I want to mentor. I want to be on. I want to be hands on. I want to help them. I want to see if there's problems. Usually, it's driven by good intent. Mm. And if it works, it works. But when it doesn't work, it doesn't it does work. <laughs> anyway, but getting back to your question. So, um, if you get a supervisor who isn't maybe a hundred percent a good fit. I think the first thing you have to do is do a bit of journaling about what it is that is coming up in supervision, what's happening in supervision, how are you feeling, um, what is the reason for why it's not feeling 100% a good fit, because that will dictate how you problem solve it. So if it is a safety issue, like it, it doesn't feel psychologically safe, is, is is that something of like really reflecting on is there something the supervisors doing that's really problematic in the power dynamic that I might actually need some help from my placement coordinator and get some I might need to get someone maybe a secondary and talk to them about how I'm feeling and work that out and they might be able to support you in how you might be able to give feedback around those sorts of things in supervision. If it's a, if it's something like um, they don't have the skill set that I need, that's very problematic yeah. um you know if you're working with kids and the, the, this would not happen hopefully and if it does again we need to address that and name it in supervision and be um empowered to address it because the clients um suffer and so will your skill set is if you work with kids and your supervisor only works with adults that is not a good fit no. you know because yeah. <laughs> they're not going to have the skills so that's why it's like it's important to work out at the commencement of that supervision relationship, what are you gonna be doing? What's the work that you're gonna be doing so the match is correct and you can identify these issues early before the supervision starts? Because in most of the cases, so say for instance with the university, if you can, if you have a conversation with that supervisor, you might be able together identify that's not a good fit. And see if you can change and if there's processes for that, because there should be. That's not ethical if it's a fit that's not skills based.
0: So if there's not a discussion about what is the supervision and what's it going to involve and can I bring this as a supervisor to the table, then would you recommend that supervisees bring that up and be like, hey, just wanted to double check where what we're doing in supervision? Yeah, I
1: think um I think it's really important And, and how you bring that up. If it's something that can't be changed, a lot. Of, if it's can if it can't be changed, you need a new supervisor. Yeah. So if it's like, if it is one of those things where you work with kids and they don't, that you're not, nothing is going to be helpful in supervision, and that does need to change. Versus something, if I, if there was an issue that you felt that there wasn't enough skill development in supervision, and that's why it wasn't hundred percent good fit, because it's a very specific problem. You could have a conversation with your supervisor in a very task oriented way about what you want to get out of supervision. That would make it even better. Um, Not in what it's not. Why is it bad? It's what can how can it be better? So can we maybe in our future sessions practice X, Y, Z skills? So I think the key to that question is why isn't it a fit and who can help me work out? Why <laughs> and then resolve that problem.
0: Yeah, who would you recommend we go to to work out if it is a good fit? Because, from a supervisee's perspective, I remember not knowing what good supervision looked like. I didn't know whether my supervisor was normal or not. And it's only through mm-hmm. reflection and talking through other psychs that I was like, oh, that wasn't actually a good thing. Um, but how do we because I guess we're just plagued by self doubt. So we're just like, it must be us. We just inherently trust this person that they know more how do we know if like the things that we're concerned about are legit things to be concerned about?
1: Well, what I would say is there's so many different places that you can, you know, pose that question to get some feedback on those things. So usually it's very rare. You're just going to have one supervisor. You'll usually have a primary and a secondary. Ask your secondary, like, you know, go to them and just say, Hey, and and I'm and you know name it. I'm, I'm not trying to split you, but I really wanted to get your feedback on this. I'm new to supervision, and I just want to have a conversation around some dynamics or some difficulties I'm having in supervision. And I'd love to get your perspective on it. Um, that if, that is a really effective way. Other ways are to talk to um, colleagues in your workplace, <laughs> other other places are the forums. So you can put anonymous posts around. Hey, da 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 problem up get some feedback on what they what they think about that because Mm -hmm. all supervisors are different um, in terms of like personality but we should be providing the same reflection and and structure and you know eh, safety in the there in the the supervision that's going to make it effective
0: yeah no that sounds right and I guess maybe a recommendation is to if you reflect and something doesn't seem right don't sit on it for like a year. Get some yes. feedback. Yeah,
1: change. Yeah, we have we have a policy in the network where it's like if you uh, uh, we support supervisees to change. Wow, great. So if 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 they identify that it's not a good fit for them for whatever reason, no questions asked. Just just change supervisors. Oh, amazing. If, Yeah, because, you know, hopefully you've had a conversation and you've reflected on, is this something that we can address in supervision to improve it? And then that's when you make that decision after you've tried to improve it, because you've communicated the problem. But yeah, don't stay in it. You know, you
0: don't need to. (laughs) You're wasting a lot of money. Supervision's expensive. It is really expensive. Yeah. 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 So Annie, just kind of going on a Bit of a tangent with this question, but I'm wondering if you can show us how you give feedback to your supervisors. So I guess it requires some bravery. You've reflected, you've been like, okay, like I think this is the problem. Um, let's say the problem is a skill um, mismatch. They, they don't have that child experience and you need that. Um, could you give me a demo of how I would give that feedback to my supervisor? Oh, I love this question. So is this
1: specific to a skill when we don't, we don't, the supervisor doesn't work with kids. I'm working with kids yeah. and I'm identifying week after week. Because if you work with kids, kids are tricky. You're yeah. going to need help with that. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. So how would
0: I how would I give that that feedback to my supervisor?
1: Yeah. So I would frame it as an agenda item. Okay. So, I, so hopefully your supervisor comes in and says, what's on our agenda today? Blah, blah, blah. I would say I'd really like to talk about a problem I'm having in supervision around getting some support with my child clients. And so then hopefully it's on the agenda for supervision. And then I think you have to be brave and use I statements. So it's not about the supervisor. You know, if the supervisor not working with kids is a choice and that choice is fine, it's just they don't have the skills to be able to meet that need. So the way I would frame it was um, Bronwyn, I'm just really feeling stuck with some of my child cases. I'm feeling that um, in supervision, I have these needs around my cases and questions that I have that I feel that I can't have answered in this space because you don't work with children, which I completely understand. I'm wondering how we can problem solve this need that I have in working with my child clients because I'm really concerned about my skills and competence in that area. And then hopefully that will segue into the supervisor being like, This is what your supervisor should do if you ever did come to the party with that conversation. The supervisor should celebrate because you are able to communicate a need effectively. And then the supervisor should say, thanks, that's a great way. That's great that you've identified that. Let's talk about how we do that. Is it me? Do we get you a secondary that works with kids? um, And you see them more regularly. Do we join a group supervision that works with kids? Like helps you problem solve the problem because you've identified the need.
0: Mm, I love that. When you were saying that to me, I was trying to put myself in a supervisor's shoes and I felt like it was a lovely way to communicate it and I didn't feel defensive. And I was like, oh, problem solving. I could problem solve with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, So it made me feel like really invested in trying to help you.
1: Yeah, because you're inviting them in to help you with the problem. That's what supervision is. Yeah. Because if you can identify it, your supervisor should be able to help you get the need met, even if it's not with them.
0: Okay, can I throw a trickier one at you? And listeners, I am putting Annie on the spot here. (laughs) But Okay, so this is something that happened to me in my early supervision, which was around 70% of my supervision sessions were the supervisor talking about themselves and their experience. And if I have a generous interpretation, I think they were trying to convey and try and help me through their own experiences, but it came across to me as sometimes unrelated, sometimes it was tangential stories and it would take about 15, 20 minutes of the session for one story and then I wouldn't get through my agenda items. Um, so to so me. It happens, happens so commonly. Yeah. Oh, great. So- uh, okay. Well, I'm not glad it happens commonly, but I'm glad that it's something <laughs> that you've encountered before. So how would I bring up, how would I give feedback around this issue, which, which I saw as like um, them, them talking too long about their own personal experiences?
1: Yeah. And I guess my first question before we we jump into that is what was it about that for you, Bronwyn, that was so ineffective when they shared? Because was there nothing you could take from the narrative?
0: At times, there was nothing I could take from the narrative. Their clients were actually very different from the client that I was bringing. So I'd bring a client, say, um, this client's experiencing depression, maybe they're a 20-year-old um, cisgendered female, and they would talk about their client who is who is 70-year-old male. So different presentations, but they thought that there was sore connection. Um, so I felt like I couldn't get a a clear link between what they were describing to me and how to apply that to my client. And then the story would finish and I would be none the wiser what I was supposed to take away from that.
1: Okay. That's great. So you you you've kind of listened to this narrative, but there wasn't much to take from it is what I'm hearing. Yeah. yeah. Or it wasn't clear what you were meant to take from it, what the yes. purpose of it was. Yes, exactly. Great. So what I would do if and I have had supervisors who's done this. Um I and it is I, it's probably more common than you think in supervision. Um, because what happens when someone talks about their case is you, this is what your brain does. Your brain goes, Oh, I've had that. <laughs> and as a supervisor, you have to unhook from it because that's they're different. Not all clients are different, even if the problem seems a little bit the same, right? Yeah. Yep. So so what I would do if that was coming up frequently in supervision is how would I handle it? So what I would do, and this relates to my my amazing supervisor who would, who would nip this in the butt. And she would ask me, if I went on a massive tangent, what she would say to me. They're related. Hear me out. Barbara. Yeah, yeah. I'm what, hearing you. Me, what, she would say, what she would say to me was, "Is I, I can waffle I, and I can talk all about the client because I know all the narrative details. Sometimes you don't need all the narrative details. And she would get me much more concise. And she would say, what's your supervision question? Like, why are you telling me? In essence, it's like, why are you telling me this? It's, it's pretty much in a nice way. Like, you know, and and we got really good at it. And she'd say it, and immediately my brain would be like, okay, what's the problem? What do, what am I actually what do I actually need? And I'd, I'd have to think of the answer. In essence, what you're talking about is like the flip, yes. where the supervisor is like talking to you about all the different ways of this case. And 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 I'm trying to think about a way that you would as a supervisee. Frame that so a gentle way maybe at the outset would be to so from what you've told me what is it that I can take from your client experience that is going to help me with my client? Mm. So it's it's not it's not it's it's not um, argumentative and you might find that then she's able to synthesise it into what she actually was trying to communicate. Yeah, but if it kept happening in supervision and you just felt like you were. You, 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 you were in the sea on the boat getting carried away with the whole narrative and it still wasn't being effective what I would do is I would put an agenda item on supervision and again come back to the what would make supervision even better so what I would say I'd
0: get brave because well, did you have a good relationship with that supervisor I felt like I could have brought something up yeah I chose not to be brave because I didn't know how to handle it but I felt like I could have
1: yeah, common. I look back at my supervision experiences during my four plus two, and there's so many things I would have done differently. And a lot of it revolves around communicating more effectively what I needed. Yeah. So, so if anyone can take that from our, yeah, chat totally. today, yeah totally, to totally. take that. <laughs> because, because when I did, and now being a super, like doing, having, now I'm registered and I can communicate those needs much more effectively in my supervision, but I wish I'd done it earlier because my experience has been that when you communicate it effectively, the need gets met, you know, you yes. just have to work out a way to communicate it in a way that's not, not mean in the same way you wouldn't want your supervisor to give you feedback about your direct observations that were like, Hey, that sucked. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so what I would say is I would go to the next session. I'd say, Hey everyone." I've been thinking about our supervision and, you know, I'm, I've been really thinking about how we can make this space the most productive it could be, and I've been thinking about the way in which we we talk about the cases, and I'm wondering if we can take more of a structured approach to the formulation of my cases in how what would be the next point in the treatment plan for my client. So if we could do a formulation maybe collaboratively with my client, and then we talk specifically about what would come next in the treatment plan for that client and and then that way hopefully ho- sometimes it's implicit the supervisor hopefully could hear that that maybe wasn't this is what you're needing moving forward yeah <laughs> yeah that's one way to do it or even just naming it like I and naming it in a way that's like kind and caring <laughs> Ronwyn. I know you have so much clinical practice, and I imagine you have lots of clients over your years of of, of working. That you know that, that would be really helpful to share. I just sometimes find in our space that I really I need more focus on my cases and their formulation and treatment plan, and maybe less talking about your experiences with your client group. Oh shit! Uh-huh. Oh my god, that would feel so scary to say. It would, but you know what? If your if your supervisor was was able to take feedback, was kind and caring uh that they would be able to think about okay well what is it that Bronwyn needs that I'm not being able to provide because the summary of it was right tell me if I'm wrong is that you weren't clear at the end of this discussion about this case it just became a narrative rather than like what did I get out of that narrative what was the point exactly yeah, yeah. So, because you don't want to not never hear about your therapist,
0: no, I like do. Your supervisor's yeah. cases, yeah.
1: Just, just get maybe get to the point a bit quicker. Exactly, maybe? rather than it being a fifteen-minute
0: story. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, it's it's more like a, a two or three-minute story where we get to the point of what you're trying to convey
1: yeah yeah and then and in a safe relationship you could become an ongoing joke like I had I have one supervisor who used to do it regularly and we actually did have a conversation about it and then she'd start talking about her cases and then she'd go I'm doing it again <laughs> that's so funny but we had a really good relationship where we'd go yeah yeah is there any, what is there to take from this is it is there anything to take from this or not really it's just a
0: chummy story yeah.
1: yeah yeah okay
0: no that's that sounds really good Annie and it's again it brings Brings up for me like the importance of not ignoring it, because I ignored it for ages. And then I'd just be sitting there as a provisional psych, like stressed out of my brain, um, being like, I have five other things to get to, and you're telling me a 20-minute story, which you're expecting me to laugh with you throughout. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Well, because it's not about meeting
1: your need, it's about their needs. Yeah. And and that's not helpful. The other thing I'd say is you're you're super. Pardon me. your supervisor should be at regular intervals like every six months or so reviewing supervision processes dynamic and look and getting some feedback on the supervision process and how you're finding it and what you would what could improve it mm. and if your supervisor is not doing that it's okay for you to enact that and say hey I'm just wondering if in our next session we could have like a discussion around how us both like prepare and think about different ways that we could make this supervision even better moving forward. So it's not it's not negative feedback. It's packaged in a way that it's great. Let's just get it even better. It feels safer.
0: Yeah, and one thing that just went through my mind just then is that as a provisional psych or an early career psych, I actually felt quite scared of supervisors. I guess they're such an experienced, <laughs> powerful position. But then hearing you speak about it, it really reinforces to me how much of a collaborative relationship supervision should be.
1: Yeah, and and if it doesn't feel that way, then get in a supervisor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but to be fair, the, the, it's the supervisor's job to manage the power dynamic, mm. not the supervisees. Mm. So you know, and it, it, but it is your supervisor's not a mind reader. If it, they can't tell if there's a problem, unless well, they should, some things they should know is a problem. But um, especially if you've brought things, the immediate response should be, tell me more about that. Let's problem solve that. How do we fix that? How do we make that better for next session?
0: Mm. So it just, is hard though. <laughs> it, it is. But I think like even practicing that with your peers and getting some lines that you can say or writing it out and then practicing it can really help boost your confidence and being able to bring that sort of supervision.
1: Yeah, and two, as well, um, I don't know how much you know about feedback-informed treatment. I do. You- yes. yes. Very important. Yes. Um, For those listeners, go and do training in feedback-informed treatment because it will really help you understand, one, how you can seek feedback from your clients to improve your practice as a developing psychologist, but two, how you can then give feedback to your supervisor in a way that's safe and kind. Yeah,
0: Yeah, no, I need to do an episode on that coming up. I've seen just so much other stuff, Annie. But, yeah, it's such an important (laughs) thing and I really feel like, working out how to give feedback is like an essential competency for psychologists. Yeah. 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 Mm. Annie, I think we're coming up towards the end of the episode, but I wanted to check with you. Is there any other hints, uh, tips, hacks you can give to our listeners on how to get the most out of supervision?
1: Oh, yeah. I think that asking yourself what your supervision question is, is really important. I think picking your supervisor is really important. Don't like, Go through a process of thinking, what's the work I'm going to be doing? What skills might I need? And then interview your supervisor. And don't be afraid if it's not a good fit when you meet them and it just doesn't feel like you clicked to then pick someone else. That is okay. Not all supervisors are going to be a good fit for supervisees. That is okay. You're going to be spending a lot of time with them. So make sure it is a good fit and change sooner rather than later, like you said. Yeah. Um but I think, too, the biggest thing I would say is being vulnerable in supervision. It can be really hard. That imposter syndrome is really, really tricky for early career psychs. Um, but if, if you're not able to be vulnerable and share your needs, you're not going to get them met. Um, and you can pretend like you're doing it all and you know all the things and that is you're going to come at the end of your internship just the imposter syndrome will be rife because you never, you didn't get to check all the things along the way <laughs> because you weren't vulnerable to be able to say, I don't feel good doing that. I still don't really think I've nailed behavioral experiments, I, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, no, it's such, such an important skill and something that I'm only really learning like three years post-registration, but really seeing the value in it. Literally, I had supervision yesterday and I said something along the lines to my supervisor, when you said X, I felt judged um, and that, that hurt me a little. And then we talked about that and it was really hard conversation, but it was such a good one. Um, so yeah, highly recommend. Love
1: it. And if, and if the response isn't safe get a new <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like, yeah. right yeah right yeah totally. that's really that's really hard to say but you know in early career psych we're a lot of times learning how to be assertive or we're starting to learn into personal effectiveness there those skills develop as you go you know and we're usually more self-sacrificing psychologists yeah we, we are we, and then as we get along in our career, we realise, oh,
0: that's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I burning out every two weeks? Uh, is is that, it because I'm bending over backwards for everyone else? What are those unrelenting standards? <laughs> and how do, I, how do I
1: put them aside? Um, but you just gave a really good example of, of, of what you need to be able to do in supervision because I, as someone who navigates our whole network, sometimes supervisees will give me a call because there is something, you know, they're struggling with in supervision. And my job is often to empower them to take it back to supervision. And we have yet to have a problem where they've taken it back and it wasn't received in
0: a way that was supportive and problem solved. Oh, so good to know.
1: So, you know, win for our team. Oh, amazing. <laughs> but, but I guess I'd say that to everyone listening is that um, you need to test that hypothesis. because are we doing some cognitive distortions around what we think will happen and fortune telling and catastrophic, catastroph I can't say it. Catastrophizing. <laughs> Thank you, Bronwyn. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So I, I I would say that's probably, probably a lot of it. Um,
0: I don't know. Do you have anything to add, Bronwyn? You've had Not, a lot of supervision too. Yeah. No, I, I think what you've, pointed out has been extremely helpful. And I'm sure our listeners will find it really helpful to implement. I think it's really important to be brave and give feedback. And then to know that, yeah, if you don't receive a validating helpful response, that isn't your fault. That's actually something that perhaps needs to be worked out or perhaps change supervisors. Because yeah, I feel like early career psychs, we do have a lot of that self-doubt automatically. And we're like, oh, I failed. I did something wrong. Um, But sometimes it's just not a good fit. And that's preventing you from getting the most out of supervision that you can.
1: And I think that's probably one other thing just to add on the end is if you have to change supervisors, it's okay. Yeah, it's not a big, and no biggie. No, but I, most supervisees, I was lucky actually. I went through my whole one with the same three. But it's very rare. I'm finding most of the time people will change and chop. I added heaps of secondaries just for their skill sets. I was yeah. like, oh, I'm gonna add you. Do oh, that's nice. But having that conversation about the change, it's the same thing. It's about I statements. I have realized that I think I've got what I needed from our supervision. And I'm really looking for someone in this area, whatever, whatever the reason is that you've shifted, that is okay. That is a valid reason to
0: change supervisors. And your supervisor is, is, is going to be fine. <laughs> They're going to be fine. <laughs> and with that note, we'll probably leave it there. But Annie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your expertise and insights. And Annie, if listeners want to find out more about you or we'll get in touch, where can they find you? Um, yeah, so we
1: have a Facebook group called the Provisional Psychologist Network that you can join. It's a closed group. Make sure to answer the Um, entry questions or we will deny you Um, you can also find us on the website at www.provisionalpsychologistnetwork.com and and yeah we've also got an
0: online school but you can find more information about that on the website fantastic again thank you so much annie thank you (laughs) catch your listeners and thank you for listening see ya thanks for listening to mental work the podcast for early career psychologists. If you're loving the show and don't want to miss an episode, press follow on your podcast listening app. If you want to show us some love, consider sharing the episode with a friend or giving us a five-star rating and review in your podcast app. If you want to show us some extra love, join our Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash mentalworkpodcast. This really helps to keep the podcast alive. Want to keep the conversation going? Have a cool idea for an episode or just want to say hi? Send me an email or join the Facebook page by clicking on the links in the show description. See you next time.